1: Hello and welcome to episode 17 of PODAROONY! This episode of PODAROONY is sponsored by Honeybee's Honey. Honeybee's Honey is an organic honey that can be ordered online or by phone directly from the hive that the honey was made in. Honeybee's honey is produced, packaged and delivered by the bees themselves with no human interference. Honeybee's honey does not come in a container, but comes straight from the bee, and is delivered by the bee itself, so there is literally no waste. Get to know your bee, and he'll give you his honey. Honey bee. Hi, yeah, so uh, welcome to episode 17, and we've got lots of short interviews with lots of different comedians that I met at the Vodafone Comedy Festival in the Ivy Gardens in Dublin just last weekend, including Tommy Tiernan, Phil Jupiter, Nick Crowell and Stephen Frost and many more. And it's just absolutely wonderful festival. The Ivy Gardens is a lovely little park. they set up about five or six different marquees. There's lots of street entertainers in there and the the uh, bars there and there's food and uh, it's just a really cool place to hang out. And um, it's been going now for five six years. I absolutely love it, so I really enjoyed the the weekend. And I uh, overdid things a little bit. So um, so on Monday I went out for a run just to sweat all the the chemicals out of my body. And it began to lash rain, and I actually have a great love of running in the lashings of rain. It's just feel like you're doing something really good because you're uh, pushing yourself through the rain and once you get really wet you can't get any wetter. you can just immerse yourself in the rain it's not like when you get half wet and you're on the way home from work it's when you're just totally soaked and you're running in the rain and the actual running keeps you warm anyway so you, you know it's not like a shivery wet really enjoyed it came back home um had a shower and just later on i felt i like just really sore thighs i got i got chafing of the thighs and it's a it's a horrible thing uh, not nice at all not, not 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 the private bits are out just the inner thighs and not nice at all i didn't it's cuz when you get wet when you get really wet it happened to me before the clothes you're running in get really heavy and they start rubbing off certain bits of your body Normally, it's not the thighs. Actually, the last time it happened to me was on a cross country run, and I got the old nipple chafe, which is bloody sore, and leading sometimes to bleeding nipples. And mostly happens to men because women have a, a bra on. Um, and so apparently, what you're supposed to do is put a, put some uh, little um, plasters on your nipples before you go out. In that case, and there is a or or Vaseline, and there is actually a product. For a called body slide, which sounds a little... Hmm. I wish I was sponsored by Body Slide instead of f- fucking honeybees, honey. Anyway, the uh, first few people I interviewed and uh, are coming up now are some short little interviews with uh, Lolly adifope Alison Spittle, and Marcus O'Leary. <coughs> Hi, Lolly. I just saw your show and it was amazing, so...
2: Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Are you enjoying <laughs>
1: yourself here at the Vodafone Festival? I'm
2: having such a lovely time. I mean, I was very scared because I'd never been to Dublin before. And all of my family used to live in Dublin and they kept being like, find our old house, make sure you go and see this, make sure you go and see that. And I felt like it's a pressure. But now that I'm here, it's really nice and I'm having a really nice time.
1: All right, <laughs> so your family, are what part of Dublin are they from?
2: I have no idea. <laughs> so you <laughs> didn't find the house? No, not at all. My dad went to Trinity, that's all I know. Oh. Um, and then they used to live here. My brother was born here, but apart oh. from that, I don't know anything. Right, okay, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It doesn't involve me, so I don't know. No, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: yeah. You were born in England, though? Yeah, What yeah. part of England?
2: I was born in Kent, and mm. then I moved to London when I was a baby. And then oh. I've lived in London my whole life.
1: Okay, yeah. So what What kind of uh, clubs are you doing now? Is like, Is the comedy scene in Britain kind of... Mostly in pubs and that kind of thing, is um,
2: Yeah, there's lots of pubs, there's lots of theatres as well. Yeah. Um, there's a place called The Invisible Dot in King's Cross, which has lots of alternative comedies, and so lots of sketch and character stuff. Mm. So that's where I started doing stuff. Um, and then now I'm just doing a lot of previews I'm doing an Edinburgh show, so I'm doing lots of different theatres and places like The Pleasants in London and places like that um, to prepare for my show. And what's August. your show called in Edinburgh? Lolly. It, yeah. You have to decide it really early So I just thought, sort of keep it simple, keep it vague
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah. And will you be doing lots of characters or sticking to one character?
2: Yeah, I'm doing, so it's an open mic night Where I play all of the characters at the open mic night um, So I think i have got six different characters
1: Alright, cool yeah. well, I'm glad to see that then Thank you very is much Is it your first time in Edinburgh?
2: Uh, first hour, but not my first time I've been about four times But last year was the first time I performed And then this year is going to be my first hour
1: OK, well, I absolutely loved your show. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Brilliant stuff. Thank you. Have you got another gig to do here? This week? No, Don't I'm, I'm
2: done now, but I'm staying until Sunday. I'm going to watch loads of stuff.
1: Yeah, it's a yeah. nice little festival, isn't it? Yeah, it's
2: so nice. It's so nice. Lots to choose from.
1: Yeah. yeah. Thanks a million for talking to me, Lolly. <laughs> Thank you very much. Enjoy Thank the you. rest of the festival. Thank
3: you. You'll never guess who's pregnant, Alison. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'd go for a long night of people that were more sexually active than me in secondary school. <laughs> <laughs> Which to be honest, lads, it's a very long line. <laughs> <Sorry>. uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The nearest I got to any sexual activity in secondary school was listening to my friend describe the mechanics of a blowjob, right? While well, I slowly got sick
1: into my own scarf. <laughs> Hi Alison, just saw your show. Brilliant stuff, well done.
3: Oh thank you very much, Joe. I appreciate that.
1: Have you done any other shows here at the festival? I've
3: been, yeah, I hmm. done one yesterday uh, with Foyle Arms and Hog and a great Conroe too, and a lot of other. Sorry. That's beautiful. <laughs> I drank some cider earlier, I'm sorry. And I, okay. And, uh, I did the Laughter Lab yesterday uh, with the Mess Around Gang. It's uh, Giles Brody and Colin Chadwick, and it was like a kind of sketch group thing we were doing there. Oh, They're okay. pretty good. To be honest with you, it's more like half sketch, half improv, because they go to me, Allison. So, you're the green M&M and you're going to be married to Colin and you're going to be a bit racist. Uh, just go up there and do it and you're going to end on a dance. <laughs> so that was your
1: only direction.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I played the part pretty well. <laughs> and uh, tomorrow I'm with Colin O'Regan in the in-jokes. In yeah.
1: What other kind of things? Yeah, are you on radio? I heard you on radio recently. Yeah, tra-
3: I'm trying to hustle, Joe. You know what Good I mean? Stuff. Yeah, um, I'm trying to... Um, I was what on show the, are you doing on the radio? Oh no! Just a guest. I uh, just oh news talk. I was doing. I did do little bits and bobs for a news talk breakfast. Uh, like they wanted me to go into a plane and do a loop the loop, but the weather. I didn't allow, so unfortunately, uh, all I did was the TV listings. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a very big difference. It's a very big difference. Yeah, yeah. um, But uh, yeah, and what else am I doing? I'm doing the comedy bites on RTE Player. Well, hello, Al. How are you doing?
4: Hey, Alison Spittle. I just caught Alison's show. She was fucking hilarious. Ah. Mm. Like, really, really amazing. Crowd loved her, spoke to them like they were mates, as you said. And I loved the Eminem thing at the very end. (laughs) (laughs) end. If you haven't seen it, it's indescribable. Alison Spittle, amazing.
3: Thank you, Al. I appreciate I had that. I to capture on
1: on radio, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, last
1: night it was a racist Eminem, wasn't it? Oh,
3: she, well, like, she was. Oh, my God, you're a ledge. Uh, just got some drink tokens there. If Brilliant. you want to listen to it for the sound. That's cider.
1: That was the sound of drink tokens.
3: <laughs> that was, that was.
1: Later on, it'll be the sound of cider.
3: It will, and it'll be the sound of me going to bigger committees. How did you get so famous? <laughs> um, <laughs> can you make me famous too? <laughs> can I be your friend and you get me on telly? Um, so mm. it is, it is and these big uh, festivals, I mean... Because it's my second Vodafone this year. Mm. Last year it was all like novelty, and I was just happy to be there. And to be honest with you, I felt like um, I felt like a late late toy show kind of you know child guest. I felt delighted to be here, and I just you know want to avoid Darren because he's so cool. <laughs> you know,
1: he's big too.
3: He is big. He is big. Mm. He's got hands like bananas
1: yeah yeah he hands. really does and big a big hands. brain Very Big brain. Man.
3: big heart I'm sure as well I think, you know probably, <laughs> probably. <Yeah. laughs> um, yes yeah. I'm just enjoying my time here You're
1: enjoying yourself right listen thanks a million for talking to me Thank and you, good Joe. luck with your career I'm sure you'll be much more famous than everybody <laughs> in the
3: future uh, that's that's well if you do a mass murder I will then that's <laughs> what I want thanks so much Joe All right,
1: yeah Marcus hiya how's the
5: crack hey Joe how's things good yeah are you enjoying yourself here having a good time yeah just arrived walking around everyone's looking good just saw a bit of Tommy Tiernan there yeah he's yeah. on in the background there he's on you'll hear the roar really? now in a second <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, people <laughs> yeah <laughs> Nah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, you're doing a gig tonight, is it? I'm
5: uh, yeah, in the laughter lab tonight. Have, so. you, done, have you done one already? No, this yeah. is my first Vodafone Comedy Festival. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so uh, in with Al Porter, Rory O'Hanlon, and PJ. It's oh, going to be yeah. great. Really good. Cool. Do so yeah. you like the pack? It's a good pack. You The guess, Pack was fruit. decent. Yeah, I'm just happy I got a little notebook with my name on it. To be honest, that I'll yeah. pretend I write jokes in,
1: Probably yeah. just draw loads of dicks. Yeah, yeah. E- every year I get that n- notebook and I realise the one I got last year, I didn't write yeah. enough in it,
5: really. It's okay, I've you can never write enough, though, can you? <laughs> <laughs> Just write the deep, dark thoughts of your mind. Yeah, there's you, a lot of that, but You can funny. draw enough dicks, though.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Bring it on stage. <laughs> what? The the dicks. Or the inspiration of... I mean, yeah. Whatever, the dicks, whatever, compare real and fictional, yeah. and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, yeah, Are you doing any much DJing these days? I'm things? doing
5: a lot of DJing. I'm actually DJing tonight directly after. I'm walking off stage into a taxi and up to the academy. Good so man, really? I'm, I'm DJing about four nights a week and then doing comedy about three usually. So oh, I'm kept lazy. busy between everything. Yeah,
2: good man
5: yourself. Um, I'm kind of looking at doing a bit more European touring with comedy, which is looking looking good. Couple of things in, yeah, the, in, in the pipes. In your- I'm looking at Iceland in October for about wow. a week. Um, going back up to the Baltics. Um, I was talking about doing a whole Scandinavian tour to a few people as well. I did a did a little Swedish tour a couple of years ago. So oh, they, go yeah. back and check out those clubs again.
1: Oh, brilliant! Yeah, Fair play so. to you. You're planning your own furrow there. Ah,
5: listen, you have to, kind of, don't you? You do have to. Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, good man, you're saying. You
5: know, there's a finite amount of work in Ireland, and it's an excuse to travel. So Yes, yeah, sweet tax deductible
1: airfares. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. But it's all now on tape, so uh, the tax man's it's listening. listening
5: tax-deductible (laughs) airfares. Okay, thanks, Marcus. All right, Joe. Thanks. Enjoy the festival. Thanks a lot.
1: That was Tommy Tiernan in the background of that interview and now here is Tommy Tiernan with a waterfall in the background. Yeah, Tommy, how are you? How's it going? i all right. You look great. Do I?
4: Yeah. I said earlier you look wise. We have to keep the adventure going, don't we? We do, yeah. So how (laughs) do we do that, Joe? After all these years, how do we keep excited about our own mouths well that's that's the challenge
1: yeah I don't know I mean my life is is
4: shit so uh, that gets me excited I love being on stage yeah so but despair is a <laughs> gift yeah yeah I've often had the most fantastic <laughs> gigs directly the closer they are to the traumatic incident often the better mm. I'd often, I would often orchestrate a fight mm. with somebody close to me Moments before going on yeah. stage. Yeah. Um, I don't have to, it, it just happens. <laughs>
1: yeah, my personal life is in bits. But,
4: but more importantly, how's your stage work? <laughs> it's great, it's never been better. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's wisdom in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Anyway, God, there's something about you, Tommy, I, I almost confess to you. <laughs> I confess.
4: Uh, there's a bit of a priest about you. No, no, I am. Um, but I, I, I am thinking about that a lot at the minute about how mm. to keep because the the pressure to keep the financial pressure to keep performing mm. uh, is relentless and then you have the, these other That's instincts scary. that are creative instincts mm. these other creative yeah. instincts that kind of go no you need this way and you think well, well no one will follow me if I go that way and but <laughs> mm. <laughs> you put your every and you get I find with the work that I want to do I'm getting encouragement from all the right places but they're quiet places like a nun come up to me uh, after one of the improvised shows
2: I said I love
4: it and you'd rarely get that after I'm just getting I'm getting I'm getting wisdom from the right places so I I do feel that absolute tension of financial responsibility and the the creative then impulse seems to be going in the opposite direction so when we were all starting off it was about messing wasn't it mm. you, it was about being silly and stupid and, and daft and you know we did a tour where we got paid the cigarettes
1: <laughs> yes Carol's tour yeah. Yeah. I mean yeah, yeah that's right that's, we were, we were <laughs> peddling cigarettes to
4: students yeah you can't do that now <laughs> But, but, and that's how little we cared about money. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I don't know about you, but I was on the dole until s- I was 26, so any cash I got paid was just... I mm. couldn't believe it. So it was licensed to be silly, mm. you know, and the wilder you could become, or the... There was a great... Um, there was great store put in comic ingenuity, and we are all, you know, all watching each other the whole time. And mm. You know, obviously envious of each other and inspired by each other and, you know, always be saying, oh, that was great. That's, oh, we've seen that bit. He does, oh, it's brilliant. Anyway. Mm. And then something happens when you get into your mid-thirties, mid-forties, it starts becoming your job and you have mortgage repayments and you have alimony and you have all the touch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And you start kind of going. Oh, yeah. There's pressure there. It's pressure. Mm. And then you think, okay, I have to keep this then the madness the lunacy on stage then becomes a responsibility Mm. and when the and when the when the creativity becomes a responsibility then sometimes creativity dies Mm. so So that's why you did the the improvising because that's where that's where the life was that's Mm. where the danger was that's where and still is Mm. so I'm on that kind of because I know that I'm going to have to be working for another 15 years Mm. I'm 46 so I'll, I'll have to do another I'll be working until I'm 60 so mm. how do I keep it mm. fresh for me and for the audience unless I go back to that spirit which informed somebody standing up on stage in their swimming togs and a pair of flippers and goggles doing river dance. like how do you you know mm. you couldn't bring that to your bank manager now and say well, this is the new direction I'm taking I'm uh, yeah yeah, no, you, you know. not yeah, yeah. so I think that's a fair play you're doing it for responsibility. I
1: improv and I love doing improv with the group the, these his line guys and also the uh, Dublin group mm. but to do it on your own where do you start because you've no, no words
4: to no, start with and you've no audience suggestions either and yeah. it's not a game so it's mm. much more uh, dangerous and it's much more stressful mm. it's um, it's the most stressful thing but I'm drawn like a. But where do you start? What's the first thing
1: you say when you come on stage? Why? Why do you say it? What do you do? Do you say before I go on? I, go try on? To, I try
4: not the, to. No. The hardest thing I is to stop yourself preparing.
1: Mm-hmm. I
4: you know. You, yeah. can, you, you kind of go, I'll, And exactly. then you have to stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, stop. Uh, so that's really difficult. You just walk on with a blank mind, blank hand. I think you can try to have a blank mind, but it's impossible. So mm-hmm. what usually happens is. I talk about stuff that I've done that week, or thoughts that I've had that week. Mm. So I I know that if I've had lots of experiences, I know I'd be able to. I, if I could, if I do one show a week, if I do one improvised show a week, mm. I know that I can fill my head up with enough stuff to, to make do. it work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. But I think that's the adventure we're called on. You know, mm. audiences come to see us for. Freedom. They want to see something that they are not. You know, Mm. they're sitting there and they have pressures on them, and they have to behave a certain way in their jobs. And their jobs takes up so much time of their of their mental time and thoughts. So they kind of they get into this structured way of thinking, and they treasure comics because of their irresponsibility. Mm. So we kind of have a Mm. duty to say. But do you know what?
1: I, I, I think, think you have an ability to be very profound without even trying. I actually did a bit of my podcast recently. I wish I was could be profound, like
4: Tommy Tierney or Bono or Glenn Hansard.
2: Yeah. Kind of really we all, hard. three of us,
4: would meet up quite regularly. Yes,
1: all right. Yeah,
4: yeah we can't tell you where, Joe, because it's, uh, <laughs> it wouldn't be deep enough, you know. <laughs> but we meet in uh, yeah. monasteries in Greece. So. Uh, Bono is a cottage. <laughs> On
2: yeah. the Isle of Man, <laughs> right. Of Man
1: uh, so that's it. Is there any way I can get into that? Claude, like I'm totally. What do I have to do? Um, kill Glen. Kill Glen. Okay, well that's my mission.
4: The Isle of Man is actually in the shape of Bono's head. A lot of people know that, and <laughs> only when he flies in, he yeah. points at it. Yeah. The Isle of Bono. <laughs> yeah. No, you do. Yeah,
1: but I think it's probably because you're able to. You're you're in connection with your own. You're honest or something. You have great ability to be totally honest with what you're feeling.
4: I don't think, so. I, don't think I do, really. No, you're know I'm, you're I, I'm no. There's nothing, you're not, no? I don't think so, I, I, my, my wife wouldn't describe me as that. You know, okay. Every married man is a liar, Joe. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 fuck. Anyway, yeah, this is yeah. Really, uh, I'm really sad now. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I was looking for some answers.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, Glenn isn't feeling too well at the minute so. <laughs> okay, right. Just be around, be handy at the Okay, Yeah, 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 yeah I'm, oh. I'm, so, I'm so up there I only I'm get ready in to come on I only got in because Gerber Morgan died <laughs> <laughs> right. God, yeah Well, yeah,
1: you killed him Anyway, you did actually kill him True, that's a true story Okay, thanks a million, Tommy. Thanks for talking to me. I then spoke to uh, A.B. Philbin Bowman and Nick Crawl. But first, here's a little bit of live improv from the Dublin Comedy Improv. Uh,
4: So, come over here. Can I have an outside object, but one that hasn't already been mentioned? Spoon, brilliant. This is going to be the story of Kim Jong-un and the spoon. However... (laughs) They're going to tell this story ever so slightly than any other story you've ever heard. They will tell it because as I point my finger from one to the other, the first person will start off telling the story as I point my finger on, the next person will start or continue the story exactly where the last person left off. They won't make a mistake. If they do, by mistake I mean repetition, or if they just generally fuck up, you get rid of them from this game and this game alone by shouting out the word die. Okay, eventually we're left with one person on stage, that's the winner, but let's have a little practice, die. On the count of three, one, two, three. Die! Okay, you can do it a lot louder, because there's a bloke out there on still, so let's fucking freak him out. Uh, On the count of three, one, two, three. Die! Fantastic. Okay, so look out for the mistakes, this is the story of Kim Yong un Kim Yong un (laughs) and the spoon, chapter one. It was a cold day in North
1: Korea when Kim Jong-un got up and went down to the toilet. He only had one toilet, and it was downstairs. He went in and closed the door behind him.
6: He turned on the fan and the alarm clock at the same time. As
3: he did so, a woman appeared from behind the door. It was his friend. Lucinda (laughs) O'Brien.
7: Hi, I'm Lucinda (laughs) (laughs) O'Brien. And I'm here to say hello
6: to
2: you. And
6: I brought you... A magic spoon. Because I work
8: for Maxwell House. And he makes delicious coffee. He's giving away spoons that everybody will love to stir their coffee with. But no, not here
1: in North Korea, said Kim Jong-un. Those spoons
6: are banned.
3: From here. So Lucinda said, don't worry, I have two forks in
6: my pocket. Maybe they'll do instead. As she pulled out the fork, it shone in the bathroom light. My God, it's blinding! May you, little dirty bitch! Yes, said, I will have you shot! And he did! He shot her there!
8: And then, with his North Korean uh, AK 47, she was all over the place by the time he finished. Then he's shooting her in the face, in the blood on the walls, on the and also
6: on the wheelbarrow he had in there for some reason. I leave the toilet the paper there.
3: I won't bother cleaning this mess up. But what he
6: did next really surprised everyone in Korea. He rang the doorbell six times in a row. That meant that all the people in Korea came to see what was happening. He held
3: the spoon up in, in advance of them coming, and also when they
6: came he said this spoon shall from now on be our spoon
4: the spoon of the North Korean Korean people it shall be the spoon of destiny
8: we shall all
3: ask it questions and see if it
8: answers us And speak in many languages including Korean and Afghani so they all stood around, They're around looking a small woman in the front collapsed in a heap. <laughs> How dare you collapse in front of my magic spoon? And then the spoon began to talk. <laughs> in Afghani.
1: <laughs> the
8: woman erected herself in two seconds flat and also began to speak Afghani. <laughs> back to the
3: spoon. Translated as... <laughs>
6: I love you, darling spoon. Please be with me from now on and forever. She wanted to marry the spoon. And fly off around the world because this spoon had... had
8: magical powers like we already knew about, except now it also could fly. Kim Yaron was raging. He at
3: this. He wanted that fucking spoon.
8: spoon.
6: For himself, a young boy in the crowd cried and said,
3: Papa, Papa,
6: why have you left... It was Kim Young Baby Boo. (laughs) He
8: wanted all the spoons to be brought to him only. And it was his message that everybody then listened to. The message was simple. It just
6: said,
3: fuck off.
1: Baby, how are you? Yes, not too bad.
6: Good, pretty good form. What did you do uh, today during the festival? I was emceeing a gig with uh, Aidan Killian, Andrew Maxwell and Reginald D. Hunter. Okay, so that went well, yeah? It was great fun, really nice. Uh, I've been emceeing this gig. Well, this gig. I've been emceeing a gig with Reginald D. Hunter in it. The first year, the em- the one back was Trevor Noah. Uh, next year, he was the headliner, and now he's the host of the Daily Show. Uh, and that was back, I think, 2010 or 2011. So it's fast, you know. It's it's a fast game. We 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 spin, we spin some decks. So who knows? Maxwell or, or Aidan Killian might be the next host of the next type of show of like that like ilk. Yeah, but you might you live might, and hope. And I'll still be here emceeing this gig with Reg. Me and Reg will still be hanging out and. I emceed uh, for him in uh, Dirk Street actually earlier this year, which is also a joy. Because uh, he brings in a really a really interesting crowd who like kind of silly left field comedy. But what's interesting is he's been doing TV work, especially a show called Songs of the South. Uh, no, very Yeah, it's a good show. It's worth looking looking out for or checking out. It's a BBC show. I don't know how, how available it is online, but it's certainly the first and third episode I thought were really brilliant on minstrelsy and stuff. Just fantastic and interesting history. But. About two-thirds of the audience, I asked them, hadn't seen Reg live before? And I did a joke about, I think, Princess Diana, about ten minutes in, and a <gasps> bunch of them went... Grr! And I was like, well, guys, if that was over the line for you, you may be at the wrong gig. I'm just, I'm just putting it out there, you might want to go home at the interval, or you might want to just get ready for something slightly darker. So just just prepare for... So, yeah, it's kind of... Essentially, my job tonight was just looping them up for, for Maxwell and, and, and Reg, Dean
1: Well, That's what happens at some of the festivals, because uh, a lot of the audience might come to see a local act and uh, they're not ready for another act that might be a bit
6: more... Edgy. <laughs> well, the thing is, I
2: mean, I actually think
6: what they, they've done a much better. Like, I remember years ago seeing lineups, and you go, "Why did they put that person with that person?" And it was just, it was just like literally they just randomly pick it out of the bag almost. And you'd be thinking, "But nobody, people who like him won't like him or her. Or it just wouldn't work." And I think they've put a lot more thought into it. And like this, the show we did tonight, like we're all kind of political comics. In fact, I was going on going, "I think I'm the least political act on tonight," which never happens to me. But uh, but Maxwell can be very political when he gets into it. And- so can Aidan Killian and so can Reg D mm. so yeah it, it's. I think they but, but I mean they've kind of gone look there's, there's an audience for that people who like that kind of thing will probably like these people too so they're kind of matching unknown acts people do like you say everyone pretty much buys their ticket based on who's the headliner and it's usually an Irish name that you know like Tommy Tierney or Deirdre O'Kane, or we can look at them in, the, in this
1: room here yeah and um, but uh, well, Like I went to see, uh, yeah, there was, uh, Des Bishop was on with Louis C.K. many years ago here, and Louis C.K. struggled because... Yeah,
6: because they were all here to see Des Bishop. Yeah. Yeah, but I think, I think they've got better now at finding, they put Des, Louis C.K. on with someone like David O'Doherty, who might have a slightly more similar style, and people who... who I think. No, I Am up totally wrong on that? Is that are I you not say
1: Louis C.K. and David O'Doherty particularly. Well, who would you... Okay, I, I, sorry, David, find, find somebody who,
6: who you'd put Louis C.K. on with. Uh, Dara maybe I don't, I
9: don't yeah, know well, maybe Dara Maybe Dara. yeah this it, is like comedy maybe. speed yeah. it's all very That's weird <laughs>
6: but, but the, I think I think the point is like you try and find people who would yeah if, if someone if everyone's come to see the one headliner it can be tricky certainly mm. uh, if someone's got a very different style um, I mean as well you have to balance like tonight Aiden Killivan went on and did a very political set I went on and did five minutes about sex just to kind of change the, mm. just to give some people a little bit of mm. change of pace and then bring somebody else on to do something else and
1: you know, I was, it's it's good. probably difficult to emcee and do political stuff. Do you not know, think
6: so uh, I don't think so at all. Actually, the first couple of years, I've just gone out and gone you guys are an audience, you've come to see Reginald D. Hunter, you're interested in big ideas, let's have some fucking ideas, let's get into this. And they are so up for it. They don't want 20 minutes of penis-based material. In fact, the very first year I, I, I did that gig with Trevor Noah and uh, Reggie, I went to see Trevor Noah the night before, because I hadn't seen him ever play before, and I wanted to like, get a sense of what he was like live. Mm. And he had a good 10-minute set-up about his, his genitals, which was very funny and very well written, but it was, you know, what as Bill Hicks would say, dick jokes, right? Mm. And I said to him, the next night I said, look, just so you know, they're here to see reg they're probably people who are at the the more thinky end of comedy you can do that stuff by all means do whatever you want to do but if you want to skip straight into the the, the more thought-provoking stuff feel free Mm -hmm. and i started the gig that way and he was like yeah once i saw you do that i could i knew i could go straight into the more more you know more you don't have to win people over playing to a drunk audience on a saturday night is different to playing to an audience who are more uh tuned into hearing new ideas like well i I've realized going to this. What I really love is walking around inside somebody's head for twenty minutes, where I feel like a lot of the, some of the American comics who come over, that their whole system over there is geared around having seven minutes on a talk show. So you do seven minute sets on Conan or whatever, and all the jokes have to be thirty five seconds long because you only have this much time to fit in this many jokes, and there's a thing set up punchline, and there's no time to really get a sense of this is who this person is this is how they see the world mm. whereas the, to me the joy of comedy in this country is is you get someone like Tommy Tiernan or David O'Doherty or pretty much anyone and you feel like you're walking or Bernard O'Shea you're walking on inside his head for 20 minutes mm. and that to me is a sort of beautiful joyous thing it's not joke 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 uh, love me it's mm. it's here's a fucking here's how I see the world and I, I that personally makes me more excited but then I see too much comedy so I, I'm very particular in what I do and don't like and mm. you know I'm a bit of a you know I have certain things I love and certain things I go I can see why it's good I can see why it's popular it doesn't work for me mm. that's,
1: you know yeah but i amazed that you actually you uh, you advised who did you advise to? Uh, Trevor Noah because uh, I'd be very wary of saying to an act but he took it well I, I, I didn't
6: advise him I yeah, just yeah. I just yeah. said to him look I saw your act last night I really yeah. loved it yeah. and I think you've got some lovely ideas in there he had a really interesting thing where he compared Google to God and it was really about how you know people can say like oh Google is evil he's like no no you, you, you can't say that I mean, Google, Google is, is benign I mean people might use Google for evil but that's different Mm. and it, it was really interesting and it was lots of, and I was like that's a really interesting mm. stuff and and I, I said to him look it's completely your call I wasn't telling him what to do I wasn't telling him how to do his job mm. but I was just saying just so you know I, I know in the average club in the universe mm. the average comedy club especially people who've been drinking you've got to start off with you know something you know, digestible and warm them up and get them towards a place where they can go now we're going on a journey. They're, now they trust you. And I said, I think with this audience you don't just need to do that in. as much. If you don't want to, you're called. And he just went, okay. And then I went on and I did that. And he went, oh right you're, you weren't messing about that. That's that's totally how they are. And he just went straight into some more. So, and he I could see he was enjoying that stuff more than the, the thing that he's done a hundred million times Just to get the to audience get it. on yeah. the side. And, and I, I could just I just could see he was enjoying playing in that space more. And I thought I'll, I'll just say it to him. He was perfectly Open about it, and you know, mm. and, and this is this is just my fucking theory. I might be totally wrong. I might have a com- mm. completely arseways ways. People might might go to those gigs and fucking hate them and uh, not tell me. But I don't know. Uh, it's just that's my opinion. It's just what I've experienced.
1: American acts to just suddenly be dropped in with an Irish audience. I think it is. You know,
6: but I saw a guy last night who was brilliant. John Mulvaney, I think is his name. Or was it John? Well, it says, written here, John Mulaney, but I think John was, Mulaney. I think it's, I think it's, yeah, it says Mulaney, but Mulaney. I think I think it's Mulvaney. I'm completely okay. wrong because okay. I think it might have been misprinted somewhere. But anyway, either way fucking yeah. amazing act oh, really? just really interesting very thought provoking very fun very clever very polished self-deprecating just you're going wow this guy is talented he's Great. just very very good where's he really from worth seeing. Is, uh, I think American, east coast I think yeah, okay. but I didn't actually he's, he lives in New York now uh, he's, he's from a catholic background he mentioned um, I think possibly maybe from Illinois okay. be, maybe Chicago okay Chicago. well I'll
1: check him out check him but, out yeah, if I can get a very, him then.
6: yeah he's, he's very very good very good performer cool well thanks for talking to me are no you, problem. Are, what
1: are you up to these days
6: on I hmm. am mostly working in radio uh, I work on a show called Arena on a later time of after you switch off the radio um, it's great it's an arts show I really enjoy it I've just been asked to present an arts show for RTE Junior oh, really? for the under sevens wow. uh, which will be an interesting challenge I'm really looking forward to it uh, I have my first interview ever is at 11 o'clock at the National Gallery on Monday morning uh, and it won't be on for a while I guess the question not to be saying this really because it hasn't been officially announced or anything but 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 hopefully it's going if, if, to, it's, it's still a kind of pilot stage but if it takes off it'll be a thing for the under sevens and I, I think it'll be really interesting to try and expose them to art and culture at the same time be age appropriate and get them, you know, chatting and I kind of, I kind of want to really empower kids actually I'd love to do a section called like you know songs that grown-ups like. Are they any good? And just get kids Ooh. to kind of give their opinions on songs that we all think are lovely. And to go, I don't know, this Mozart. Maybe he's overrated. I'd love to hear a six-year-old deconstruct Mozart in their own, you know, of their own age-appropriate way. Yeah, um, yeah. And other than that, I was for a few weeks doing a podcast or not a podcast, just kind of a SoundCloud thing, um, or I was making it myself. It's kind of a vers- an attempt to do a European version of the Daily Show called Euro Nation News. Uh, which is not a very good pun. but Is that on SoundCloud? It was on, it's on SoundCloud, yeah, if yeah. you look for Euro Nation News. I did three episodes and then I got caught up doing other projects and I couldn't keep going with it. Cause it just takes a lot of uh, hours, well, you get well, seven a minutes of radio. Link to that but yeah, it's it's up there and the three episodes. Um yeah. I got really close to the one on terror because I, I, I feel really strongly about the issues and I may have misjudged the tone in my, according to my sister anyway that's her, her, her uh, considered yeah. opinion there's one on the Greek crisis that I think was quite good although sadly the week after I recorded it Yanis Varoufakis disappeared from the scene and I was like I've just done some good Yanis Varoufakis jokes those aren't going to age well that's the problem I got the rest of the summer to use it is isn't it right. political comedy it's like Billy Bragg songs no. isn't it Billy Bragg albums and all the politics it's like dude Reagan left like 25 years ago. but, but the love songs are like bang up to date, and that's why people do more yeah. cut more jokes about dicks than they One do about. One of the great it.
1: things for political humours was when we had two Bush presidents and two... Oh uh, Oh yeah, there were forces. a lot of. Oh,
6: oh, so and, bring back your old material. I mean, the the, 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 the most <laughs> joyous thing about that was actually all of Bill Hicks' old material. Like fifteen years after the guy died, was still relevant. That was amazing. Like, well, more like ten Didn't years. Really. Not to change he died the name. in ninety four, and President Bush, Saddam, Iraq. You you armed them, you fucker. It was all so relevant and quite yeah. beautiful to hear Bill Hicks ten years after he died. Beyond the grave, having a go at what was happening right then, right there, it was was a thing of uh, stunning, stunning. Yeah. It's like the universe is poetic sometimes. Yeah, uh, I, it's, it was almost worth Gore being cheated out of the election. It wasn't really because <laughs> we live in a different world, and climate change might not be quite so bad. We probably, yeah. But but you know, you got to find your comforts where you can find your comforts. Yeah. Anyway, listen, Navy. Thanks for talking to me. Total pleasure.
1: Yeah. Hiya, Nick. Just Hi. oh, your show was really good. Ready? Thanks.
7: I'm going to eat a Dorito while we talk.
1: Yeah. Mm, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crunchy.
7: Yeah, good crunch. It's got that good Dorito crunch. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. And <laughs> I just realized you should be getting get money for this advertising. I know.
7: <laughs> I'm assuming you'll get a sponsorship deal for it eventually. I will. Yeah. yeah.
1: Is this your first time over in, in Ireland?
7: It is. Yeah. yeah. I've um I have never uh I've never been over here. I mean, I've my first time in Ireland in general, uh, and my first time performing. Uh, anywhere outside the U.S. or Canada, so uh, yeah. So it was a, it was a, it, it was exciting and uh, different experience.
1: I know it must be w- certain words that don't work because I know you were doing material about your karate.
7: Yeah. Gi, yes. Which obviously you found out. I found out there is another meaning for the the word gi Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So
1: I mean, I know you know it, it works. I've done gigs in America as well, and I'm mm-hmm. saying stuff, and no one understands what I'm
7: talking. About. Yeah, it's a weird yeah. thing, and then I think it, it, again, it's just it, it becomes one of the things you're like, oh, the more I just uh, the more I can understand what those things are, the more I can then you know find the fun, joke, and humor within whatever that oddity is or the differences. You know, and you're like, oh, look at that! I got another five minutes that I can do here that will be. Useless elsewhere in the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But save it. Save it when you come back. Yeah, and
7: it, yeah. <laughs> and it, but it's it's always that feeling of like wherever wherever you are, you hope that the audience feels like they're getting, you know, a show or something that they weren't aren't going to get yeah. uh, off of watching. Uh, special or listening to an album, or just a random show that you've done everywhere in the world.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. really good stuff. So, uh, mm-hmm. where, where are you? Where are you from? In, uh,
7: uh, I'm from New York uh, originally, mm-hmm. and I live in Los Angeles now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but I came up in New York um, doing improv and stand up and sketch, and then moved, and then and and, and then moved to LA. Now, mm. much longer ago than I can fathom in my own mind. And what's the live scene like in the States now? Is it like you? It's great. I mean, it's, I think it's, I mean, from what I can tell here, uh, it, it seems to be like a really nice sort of comedy explosion around the world, um, and I think stuff like podcasts and YouTube and has really informed a lot of audiences and people, and people can be fans of people in a real way um, and connect to comedians in a way that allow people to go everywhere and, and have sort of a more calm even more common language so there are small things that are like oh they i thought it didn't know karate gi uh, had another meaning but um uh, but in general the the mode of stand-up is now i think much more international and understood across the board
1: yeah so you can get you can create a fan base but i haven't been in this right spot. but
7: i but i think it's it's as far as the scene goes it's great i mean it's like there's a lot of clubs and, and small theaters and stuff in, in LA and New York and, and really around the country but, uh, but uh, it's, it's nice LA's a, it's been a very uh, it's been a, New York is I think a great place to really figure out what you do and mm. start to hone your voice and, mm. and um, LA there so many of the people that I came up with in New York moved to LA at the same time so it didn't feel like I was losing the community that I'd started with, it just felt like it, we all came out together
1: and generally, if you're an American or Canadian comedian, LA is the place to go to if you want to do audition or whatever. Yeah, there's is.
7: just more opportunity. Mm-hmm. I would, I, 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 can't speak to it, but I assume it's mm. like London versus mm. Dublin. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know if it's quite because there's obviously a lot. There is work in New York, but there's just it's a it's a fraction of what is possibly available in LA, mm. and. Um, but I think everyone And but I know a lot of people who will like be like I'm getting ready to do a special I'm going to go to New York for a month and just run runs sets you know because you can do you can kind of do more a night in New York
1: yeah okay yeah which yeah. is because
7: there's more clo- like theaters that are very close together right yeah or clubs
1: and do you travel a lot then around the states like do you go down south or uh, I
7: you know? do I, I haven't had a ton of time to tour recently I've sort of been getting myself back into stand up um from a, not just sort of very casually doing it the last few years because of other work obligations. Um, I'm traveling this summer. I'm doing this oddball comedy festival that's traveling around the States, and that's like a bunch of uh, my f- uh, friends and comedians who are going out and uh, playing, hu- not because of me, playing huge venues. but So it's like me and Aziz Ansari and Amy Schumer and T.J. Miller and John Mulaney and... think joe rogan and and a bunch of other people are doing some combination of us in cities and but it's like these huge venues so i'm excited and totally uh petrified not petrified doing this we're talking huge huge venues
1: yeah and so what kind of a is like a 20 minute set or half an hour set? yeah
7: i think there's a you know a few versions of it but something like that so it's nice because it's not like you know you're you're just trying to keep everyone occupied for 20, 25 minutes versus figuring out how to keep 10,000 people in the deep midday sun from uh, <laughs> being half drunk and falling asleep during your set. Yeah.
1: you, you think with just on first impressions that we do drink a lot more here?
7: Oh, he, I was out last night and um, went out. I was about pretty, not that late, but right around probably that, that sweet moment where people are going out to their final bar or getting their burger mm. like 334 or uh, or trying to trying to get laid mm. but the best i saw was two guys puking together <laughs> and i thought that was a really beautiful a moment beautiful bonding moment and it's a it? it's a real sign of solid friendship <laughs> yeah. yeah all right you know.
1: well listen thanks for chatting to me nick Talk my about. pleasure
7: thanks for having me
1: Stephen Frost told me about his early days in comedy and Andy Smart told me about an act that worked with a block of ice.
7: I was talking to you before about when you
1: started out and you used to do, uh, you were in a double act, was it? Yeah. The
10: Oblivion Boys with Mark Harden, yeah. I was at yeah. drama school with him and we, we just started messing around. That's how we got, you know, the old days, equity card. Mm. We, uh, we used to do gigs at universities while well. we were still at drama school to get our equity card, but we used to do comedy. And that's where, and when we left the drama school, we were out of work for two years, so we just, we'd do, it was just a sort of alternative comedy, you know, the, yeah, yeah, with the old fashioned um you know um uh you know rick mail and all that like. Yeah sort of thing. So we just fell into it, it's fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm did you uh, was it involved with the punk scene like, was there a, a link with the punk scene the alternative but totally 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 a lot of us because the music because I'm an old punk I've got a band and all this shit, and it's just great it's like do your own thing it's a, it's a, yeah. get up and Mark used to come around to my house and uh, used to You know, I just found out that comedians had writers for them and all that, you know, people yeah. would write, you know, you do it yourself and you just turn up and yeah. get a gig going and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it was, it was part of a movement, just like the punk stuff. It was yeah. spot At the same time as well... Uh when the bands were playing they, they used to come and watch us and they used to get me, us to open for them uh, gig support oh, really, which what? is the worst thing in the world to, to open for a punk band uh, in, a, in, a, in a venue because they you know you just talk which is why we worked out a routine about being roadies because they pretend you know, to be roadies because you know mm-hmm. they don't want to see you know guys messing around and to be funny and all that sort of stuff. No, it's really difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a gig with Fugazi and Therapy and it was a business. Therapy? That's yeah, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. We yeah. did a
1: speed metal version of our yeah, set, yeah. I think. You have to. You have to.
10: You have to, Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the, and the bands love it. They go, they go, go on, you, we think you're great. Go on. And they're just all throwing glasses at you and, you know, yeah, fuck off and all this sort of stuff. What bands did you uh, work with? Uh, we did uh, Latin Quarter, we did Madness, we did... Uh, we did uh we did oh, um Chris uh, what's his name uh Chris is it rear what's his name uh Chris different. no squeeze no, no. Know, on the beach you know squeeze Yeah, to squeeze it on yeah. the beach Chris what's his name on, on the beach I don't know it. Uh highway to hell not last eight like a <laughs> And they were all, all, all just fans. They'd seen us. and They said, "Yeah, come on on stage." Of course, yeah. you know. Even uh, the police got Tommy Cooper. To yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah, 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 yeah,
1: and yeah, yeah, yeah. the crowd didn't like yeah,
10: him at all. Yeah. <laughs> and then, well, how did you get involved with the young ones? And uh, well, we used to do gigs with uh, Rick Mail and uh, Aid Edmonds, and they were a double act called Twenty Century Coyote, and we were called the Oblivion Boys. So we started gigging with Ben Elton as well, and. Um, I forgot his name, a Liverpool uh, socialist uh, uh, Alexis Alexis So we were just all hanging around, you know, doing stuff in pubs and what. And uh, mm-hmm. and then uh, Ben Elton came up to me and Mark. We were in the dressing room near the comedy store, at two o'clock in the morning. He said, "I've written a sitcom. Do you want, uh, you know, do you want to play part in it?" Mm-hmm. And Mark said, "No, I've got a I've got a job at Panto in Sheffield." I said,
8: "Mark, Mark,
10: <laughs> we had no idea what it was, right? Okay." Yeah. And eventually, because uh, he was offered the part of uh, you know, the guy with glasses on, you know, there's Rick and. Uh, with the Nill, hippie and Neil, or, Neil and, uh, and and aid Vivian, yeah. and he was offered the part of the cool guy with the glasses, Mark said, No, I'm doing no idea. And then so they cast uh, Chris, what's his name in it? And then Ma- they got me and Mark in to do stuff and all that. So sort of yeah Because we used to gig with them. We were right. just on stage with them, you know. He yeah. said and when we did the young ones, a lot of that is our own material. Oh is it? Yeah, so, uh, Rick you, and Benny's oh, When you you the two coppers. The two coppers, that was all our own material mm-hmm. we just on stage. They said, Look, do that thing you used to do on stage and all that sort of thing, so, which is really good. They were so supportive, fantastic. And then then a yeah, and a black adder had yeah black black adder the same uh, they, they, it was like um you know, the producer saw us and said, uh, "Do you want to be in this?" And uh, we said, "Yeah, right." And well, it was fantastic. It's just from, from doing live gigs and being spotted, that's fantastic. You know, mm. and, and we were actors anyway, so it was great for us. It wasn't a problem. You know, that's what we wanted to do and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. We,
1: and were you doing the improv then around that time? Yeah, I
10: always done improv. Me and Mark used to do improv at, uh, at drama school, and you know, we were naturals for it and all that sort of thing. So, I, was, I did all those games, the ones we do. I did yeah. all those. As exercises, so yeah. You know, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, we used to, you know, make stuff up anyway. So when we do those Peter, uh, that's my like gold hat. Yeah, yeah. and
1: that, when whose line then started after that. Uh,
10: yeah, after Blackadder was it? Yeah, whose line? Yeah, they did it on radio, and then I just I used to compare it down the comedy store after I stopped doing yeah. the double act, and then that. Uh, uh, Comedy Store players who were doing it, the original Comedy Store, said, with Kit Hollaback, Jeremy Hardy and Paul Merton, said, well, someone dropped out, Steve, they knew me, because we used to gig together as, mm. Stan- Andy. stand Andy, up. All right, Andy, yeah, I'm just doing the yeah, doing and, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and they'd already started doing the Who's Lines anyway, and I'd seen it on TV, I thought, well, I could do that. Mm. You know, the, anyway, they invited me down just to do one, and I joined them in, and it was a classic the producer just happened to be in and mm. said oh do you want to do another one and I was in that was it and then sure. it was off yeah yeah
1: yeah have you been doing it recently on the West End
10: we still? did the West End yeah. the TV version on the West End which is fantastic because uh, mm. it's like everyone it's like they come and see the TV show live on you know on, mm. on stage really good fun with Greg Proops and Colin Mockery superb absolutely superb was Clive Anderson involved? Clive Anderson as well yeah yeah yeah. Mm. Right, yeah. Mm. Doing, you know, pressing the buzzer and telling us what to do and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, it was great but the crowd goes crazy for it because it's like a, a nostalgia Thing. yeah you know but we uh, you know like we're going to work tonight you know, we do it different every night and all that sort of thing but yeah. it's like they're watching a tv show live on stage <laughs> yeah that's oh, brilliant yeah
1: so uh we're going to have to head down for a second thanks a lot steve you were telling me about an act that uh
9: the block of ice melted
1: was- ice a guy who melted ice
9: yeah His his act was he'd come on with with a block of ice and each Mm. block had a number on it, a piece Mm. of cardboard with a number. Mm. So you might be lucky enough to see this is block number 76. And he would then spend half an hour, his half an hour allotted time trying to melt or or turn this block of ice into water. Yeah. And he'd use um, piano wire, um, salt, uh, pickaxe, blow torches... And I need a whole half an hour he did a whole half an hour, yeah, but you'd be because it would it would it would be funny at first, yeah, then it would stop being funny, mm. and then you'd get you'd just be watching him, and then he'd do something mad, and then it'd be funny again, yeah, and and yeah, then it would yeah. then, then it would be then people would stop laughing and we'd built you'd just be waiting for the next silly thing, and then then you'd just start you'd find yourself just laughing at how ridiculous it was that you were sat watching <laughs> a man dismantling a block of ice in front of your eyes, you know yeah, and that became incredibly funny, and that was. Yeah. There was quite a few acts like that. There was a guy called Lindsay Moran. He used to just come on with an accordion and he used to be dressed in um a, a jacket and a tutu mm. and and these sort of very spindly legs and He used to come on and just sing weird songs about sort of farting and <laughs> mm. <laughs> it was a very weird yeah. and there uh, there was there was no sort of tried or tested. You know, if you had an act, if you wanted to get up and do something, you could in those days. Yeah, and then there was there was only ten clubs and thirty acts.
1: And were they like in uh, pubs? They were like back yeah, rooms above or? pubs. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah.
9: The, the, the big one was the Comedy Store, mm. uh, and then you had Jonglers at Battersea, which mm. was quite a big one. That was about a three hundred seater. No, right. Yeah, um, I've done that.
1: I've done Jonglers, but way after it. Yeah, yeah,
9: yeah. yeah. And then um, we fell. Out. I I haven't played Jonglers since nineteen eighty. Five. I had an argument with Maria yeah. Kapinski who ran it at the time because she was, she was paying the double axe the same amount as she was paying the single axe we were saying right. no no we want more money and, she said, and, and we went up there with two other double acts and knocked on the door and when she opened the door we turned around the other two axes and <laughs> pissed off <laughs> and we just left her <laughs> going yeah, well, we're not going to play your club unless we get more money. And she said, "Well, you're never going to play my clubs again." And We went, "Well, that's fine by us." And I still, to this day, haven't set foot inside the jongleurs
1: Yeah, since
9: 1985. Yeah.
1: Did all the acts ever get together and kind of agree we're going to we're going to stick by prices or anything like that? I mean, no,
9: there was uh, no there was a there was a common agreement that um, that there was going to be and there was Roland Muldoon and his wife Claire. They set up a thing called Cast. Mm. Uh, which was sort of—it uh, was called New Varieties—and mm. they had four venues: uh, one in Cricklewood, one in Wood Lane, uh, who were the other two? One in Brixton, the White Horse in Brixton, and another one. They ended up buying the Hackney Empire for a pound off Hackney Council and turning it into the, the successful venue that it is now. Yeah. Um, but they were great, and they, their creed was no sexism, no racism, no homophobia. And that mm. was that was the three rules. And everyone stuck by those rules. Mm. And it was basically, you know, a k- kicking against all the Northern Club comics who, people like Manning, Bernard Manning and, uh, mm. and you know, who just, they were being very, they were perpetuating those sexist, racist mm. jokes that sort of, I believe do keep people down and they are there to keep people down and we didn't want any part of that. So that mm. was, it, you could, if you did anything Sexist, racist, or homophobic in your act—that was it. You would never play any of the clubs again. There was one club called the Earth Exchange, which I think the max, its maximum capacity was sixteen, and you would come and play that <laughs> on a Monday night. That was the Monday night gig, yeah. And that was just off of Archway, mm-hmm. and it was held in a vegetarian restaurant. And uh, and uh, I used to get I used to get like. You know five quid for playing it but we used to that was that was you know that's where you'd try out your new material and you'd work or you'd do something different down there because it was a tiny space mm-hmm. we couldn't do our physical act so we'd tend to do more wordy stuff on those nights yeah so there
1: was yeah there was an unwritten rule there oh, it was written rule that yeah, it was sort of it
9: was a sort of self- policing yeah. society mm-hmm. so that it, uh, and it, and that's why later on when red wedge came in in 87 with Billy Bragg's Idea that you know we would go out and fight for the Labour Party in marginal seats, we were the perfect. So, there was a music tour, um, and then there was the comedy tour. And we did the comedy tour, we did about I think we did eight out of the 12 on the comedy tour. And that was my phone, is it? Okay, okay, sorry about that. And and they were great. And in the end, Billy came, he left the music tour and came and did the comedy one because he said it was more fun and less egos. Um, yeah. but that was people like uh, yeah, that was a real mix it was like uh, Ben Elton did some and Lenny Henry did some uh, Harry Enfield did his he impre- used to be an impressionist at that time yeah um, and then there was Skint Video there was a uh, 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 feminist he had a company called Sensible Footwear yeah um, there was um, i heard of Skint Video yeah yeah that was Steve Gribben and um,
1: oh really yeah
9: yeah Brian Mulligan And they were great um
1: so Lenny Henry is part of that scene as well, and actually that's probably... Yeah, exciting, yeah, right? yeah. Well, yeah. he came
9: and did the last gig at Deptford. He did the last yeah. one of that. And mm. and in fact, the the, uh, the two guest speakers that night were Clive Dunn, who played uh, Corporal Jones in Dad's Army, mm. and uh, and Tony, Anthony Wedgwood-Ben, and they were the two guest speakers. Oh, really? And Lenny Henry was the compere, yeah. Wow, <laughs>
1: that's amazing. What a lot. And did you do? Did you play with punk bands as well? Was, were, do you, no, I remember being asked to support Fogazi as a oh double right, act yeah, yeah. and uh, Therapy. Being in between Therapy and Fogazi, that that was tough. It was yeah, really yeah, yeah, hard. yeah, But it was a thing, wasn't it? It
9: was a thing that yeah. I mean, I mean it uh, didn't work. But no, Norman, you, Norman Lover used to do it. He used to go yeah. out and do. Uh, I think he did a tour with the members and. Uh, Phil Jupitus was called P- Porky the Poet, he was a poet in those days, and he supported Madness one tour and just got absolutely crucified yeah. every night, yeah.
1: And here is the man himself, Phil Jupitus. Okay, yeah, hi, Phil, are you enjoying the festival tower?
8: Joe it's a delight, as you know, dear boy. Here we are. We both had a bit of a go on stage, went quite well. Yeah. and it's the interval now. This is. Have you ever recorded a podcast in an interval before, Joe? I've never done that. This um... is the first ever interval podcast. So if there's a sense of urgency about the podcast today, those of you that are out there are Joe Rooney fans will know that this podcast is normally quite relaxed, easy going. But this one will have an edge. Yes, it will indeed.
1: So we get straight to the point. I yeah. wanted to find out about when you started out. And you were kind of involved a lot with
8: music in your comedy. Yeah, yeah. Right? I, I mean, I started as a poet. So I started in uh, the, sort of the autumn winter of 83 doing performance poetry. Uh, and at the time there was a sort of movement of poets in uh, in the UK called the Ranting Poets so it's uh, people like uh, Jules Benjamin Zephaniah Attila the Stockbroker Seeding Wells Little Brother uh, loads of people who, who sort of in the wake of John Cooper Clark kind of people realised that, that you could you, you didn't have to necessarily you know have anything other than a few good ideas to sort of do a turn. And this was sort of also in parallel with the fa- the growth of what what was called alternative comedy in the UK. And so this this sort of thing built up and I kind of came in at the arse end of it, really. So it, it, had been, it started sort of in 82 and I started at the back of 83. And I met Billy Bragg, March the 8th, 84, at a gig in Brighton. I supported him in Brighton. And a year after that, exactly a year after that, which was March the 8th, Eighty-five. Um, I did my first date with him on uh, a UK tour, and I'd quit my day job. So yeah, it was a it was a, it was a kind of a slightly steep learning curve, really. But I was I was doing a poetry in the early days, definitely, mate. Yeah.
1: And were you doing the Did you do the Red Wedge tour? Is that yeah, it? and
8: that would have been even a year after that. So. Yeah. Um, Bragg was sort of you know you've got to, if you give it some sort of context we're talking about the the, the era of Thatcherism in in uh, Britain and so when you've got a proper baddie a proper political baddie who people can rally around it's much much easier to sort of be cross whereas you know today. I think, I, think, I think that there's a kind of sort of tacit online online activism in that if people can kind of call a politician a wanker on Facebook or Twitter, they feel their job is done for the day. Whereas yeah, hun, yeah. When, I, yeah. when I was a kid, you went out on marches, you know, there was, there was, it was a lot more kind of, you were physically more engaged and involved and you physically met people. Mm. Whereas now it's because of, I mean, the, the, the internet's no bad thing, but it's kind of, it's sort of reduced, people feel that they've done something even if they've done it only on their they've, phone you know they've just ticked a box and hey a I've moment. signed an online petition I'm an activist you kind of aren't so you know it's mm. it's weird but so Red Wedge Billy was sort of concerned that um, that sort of uh, bands who were there was a, loads of bands who were very anti-Thatcher but they got together and Bill sort of wanted to get them together mm. and uh, under the use sort of, loose sort of umbrella of Red Wedge which was associated with the Labour Party and, mm. and it was an amazing time because there were so many people involved you know I, was, I, I got involved I was a poet he was on a tour yeah there was on, the, on that first Reg, Wed, uh, Red Wedge tour that I did in um, that would have been the sort of autumn of 87 so that was the people some of the bands who did that tour were The Smiths Madness The Style Council Junior Giscombe Lorna G Billy Bragg the Communards, oh, nice. uh, Heaven 17. Oh, yeah. um, there were All manner of people sort of from that era. I, I remember um, uh, Gary Kemp from Spandau Ballet singing Through the Barricades like the week he wrote it, which became a quite successful song for Spandau Ballet at that time. Mm-hmm. But he wrote it as a sort of political song at the time, and he sang it on his own on the Red Beach tour. tour. Right, know, yeah. There are a lot of bands bands you wouldn't think would sort of get involved. And well, you know.
1: Heaven 17 had their fascist group things. Yeah. So, well, so.
8: I, I sang that yeah. with... Glenn Gregory and all of them uh, when, the, when the Red Wedge Tour did uh, Bradford King George's Hall so yeah. yeah very strange days weird days and then about a year after that I ended up on tour myself with the Stale Council so because I met Paul on the Red Witch Tour and uh, I think it was more f- for convenience than anything because if you take a poet on the road with you the poet has no equipment the poet has no gear, the poet doesn't need a sound check. And I think that literally it was just convenience yeah. that, that the Style yeah. Council <laughs> took me on tour with them. So um, The Cost of Loving, which was one of the last Style Council albums uh, that the UK tour for that, yeah, I supported them on tour. It was oh, amazing okay. fun, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, that's funny you say that, that, that could be cost. I remember uh, oh, The Fall, what's his name from The Fall? Mark has given out about Billy Bragg because he's doing a lot of bands out of gigs because he's coming along with his... Just his speaker and his guitar. <laughs> oh, there was, yeah. there was,
8: I mean, the thing is, is that yeah. you know, Mark is not someone to back down for sort of making that, Billy was very portable at the time, and mm. the thing is, is if you, I mean, look at what Billy was doing, which was, it was, um, again, he had a lot in common with the Ranting Poets at the time, because it was Billy just had his ideas, and they were brilliant, mm. but he had them in songs, whereas we had them in poems, and he did a lot of the same gigs as the Ranting Poets, but if you look at Bragg, just a guy and a guitar and some ideas, and a uh, massive crowds, and he became incredibly popular, really, Quickly, and you, mm. there, was a weird, there was a sort of sense of, wow, you know, how could that ever be a thing? And here are you and I talking today, and we're in Ivy Gardens, and a couple of miles across town, Croke Park is sold out. Who's playing Croke Park? Ed Sheeran. And what's yeah. he doing? Just One man, guitar. guitar. It's it's never went away, man. That that I- brilliant ideas, brilliant songs, you know, uh, and and Billy was just part of that, really. But yeah, there was a, there was certainly he's, he's an easy target, Billy, because he was something outspoken. I think that yeah. was part of it. Definitely. I think Marky Smith likes to stir out of it. I of mean. course, yeah. <laughs> man, you can't get away from it, when no, was, not, so
1: no. was, was it difficult uh, doing gigs to a rock you uh, music audience? Yeah, it? no. At the yeah.
8: time, it's you kind of when you look back, you think it was like. You can't believe, sort of, some of the gigs that you did. I mean, I, I, I supported, uh, God, the Pogues. Gil Scott Heron, Madness, oh, uh, yeah, Bragg, the Pogues gig. Well, okay. The thing is, is no, you just kind of went on, did your thing, went, ladies and gentlemen, the Pogues, it was all right. I did a whole UK tour with the House Martins, uh, um, there, all manner of people you kind of end up on bills with. It was just, the thing is, is, is the crowd seems to be a bit more sort of um, open. The thing is, is when I was touring with Billy, he'd go on and introduce me every night. So you kind of had that tacit approval of the headliner. Yeah, There was that weird thing, whereas, and, uh and I was terrified of doing the gigs with the Style Council because I had been a jam fan and I'd seen what used to happen to fucking jam support acts yeah and it was not a pretty thing to watch but um, uh, Paolo Hewitt used to introduce me every night and Pete, every, all of the Weller fans knew who Paolo was and Paolo would go on and Paolo would sort of say Paul there's a mate of Paul's is coming on now he's going to do a bit and it was that as long as you had the tacit approval of the headliner it was sort of fine and mm. I saw some I mean God man in 81 82 the first solo performer I ever saw opening for a band John Cooper Clark opening for Susie and the Banshees yeah so wow. I was a massive Banshees fan and I went to Chelmsford Odeon and I didn't even know this, what that was and then they went "Ladies gentlemen, John Cooper Clark and that's the first time I ever saw a poet live mm. and he was brilliant mm. he was absolutely brilliant and the Banshees took him on that whole UK tour you know and by that time Clark he already already had a quite a sort of reputation with punk audiences and that and, that he, and I think he did a lot of the kind of travel blazing for for acts going on before bands but it's really odd if you read um, Steve Martin's autobiography um, um, which I think is called Standing Down Mm. Uh, oh there's a chapter I can't remember what the book itself is called but it's this extraordinary sort of uh, um Steve Martin's story—he gigged with bands all the time. He, Steve, he Martin was, did. Steve Martin, oh, yeah, really, that's yeah. how he started. Was yeah. opening for bands at yeah. like the Troubadour in L.A., and he used to open for all manner of different groups. Yeah, you know? yeah. And 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 that that weird situation where he's opening for sort of some quite heavy rock bands in L.A., mm. and it finishes up just before he quits. He's doing an arena tour, and this is before there are screens. Remember, so that's a guy in twenty thousand seater arenas where the per- imagine the person at the back, and that's exactly. before screens. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. just the guy in the white. You don't even know if it's him. Because yeah. he's 200 yards away. You don't even know that it's him. He support, who were his support band on his arena tour? Well the Blues Brothers really that was his opening act oh on that God. tour so it's it, it, it completely sort of reversed yeah
1: know? yeah yeah I know, I know that live uh, video where
8: the crowd oh. know what he's going to do yeah I just want to see there's it an odd it's kind incredible. of it, it was weird on the, and you can yeah. you can exactly see because he it's weird in that you get the sense that Steve Martin was the first arena comedian but he was a little too early for it yeah. the technology wasn't there like yeah. whereas now you know the, the Evanses and the McIntyres you know, and the Tiernan's they can do these yeah, gigs, yeah, yeah. and 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 the, the the machinery is there. You know, the screens yeah. to kind of because stand-ups about the face it and is. expression yeah, yeah, yeah. and that, and so it's just that that helicopter there is actually need... Tommy Tiernan uh, Just, a... uh, he, he, I believe Tommy needs a kebab, but. He just he just wants to fuck up this interview.
1: It's basically it's <laughs> classic tenor, <laughs> yeah, really. upstaging, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> so and how did it uh, going on was was never mind Bos really a massive break for you. Was it It's like, really o- it's
8: odd because it? the thing is is that you have to understand man that when it came along so it was 96 when it started and I'd been yeah. doing stand up quite successfully for for 5 years at that point. Yeah. Um, and everything was going okay and then when a TV show comes along your view at the time is is oh, this will be a laugh as long as it goes you never think oh my god 18 years work yeah. what I thought was oh right they want me now and I always and every year I thought right they want me this year
6: mm.
8: right they want me this year right and so I never thought it would last Any, I never ever looked beyond yeah, the s- the number of programs I've been booked for because television is so transient, it's mm-hmm. so sort of non-committal. Yeah. Particularly with something like that, a panel show is it's it's about chemistry and that. And and it's and what happened was with that was I suppose that I just provided a constant within the formula of the show. Yeah. I always I, there was always a time where I thought that they might bounce me and they never did. No. And so no, what exactly. happens is completely by accident you end up doing mm. uh, doing a, a job which is tremendous fun for for eighteen years. You yeah. Know? Larking around with mates, yeah, people you know, people you admire, mm. you know. God, we had, Marilyn, I mean, Ma- sorry, we had Marianne Faithful on that show. Yeah. Ian Jury did the show. Kirsty McColl, Bragg did it. Tom Robinson, uh, you know, uh, you know, all, all manner of sort of heroes. I mean, I the people say, oh, did you used to? You know, God, you had. There was, we had JLS on the show, and my mate's daughters were like, oh my God, you sat next to JLS, mm. and I was like. I'm going to be honest. I got more excited when Noddy Holder from Slade was on the show. When when people from my childhood came on it, Mm. that's when I got really freaked out. They're like gods to That was it. It was Susie Quattro. I'm sat next to Susie (laughs) Quattro on a TV show, and I was just like, woo! It's great. I I did show uh, David Essex, Roy Wood, Noddy, Susie Quattro, all of those people from the... We had Andy Scott from Sweet was in the lineup once. I was so offended on his behalf, because Sweet were my favourite band, you know, yeah. and Scott was an amazing guitarist, so mm. it's a, it was a weird thing, Buzz Scott, so it's just a bit of fun, you always, there's, mm. there's a comedian called Mickey Hutton, who said a great thing to me, when I got the gig, he said, never ever forget, it's just telly, yeah yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. telly and mm. it's such a passing thing you yeah. know and speaking of the injury do, do you perform with the blockheads now right? I oh, used yeah, to yeah. Not, even, not so much oh, yeah. I mean not at all anymore I haven't done yeah. it in about four years now because right. they they kind of my thing was was they asked me to do it which is I'm in mean, an absurd honour and, yeah. and I sort of agreed but I a bit. Of me, I did sort of check with Ian's uh, uh, missus and 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 uh, Jemima, his daughter, as well. I sort of, is it okay? Mm. And they've asked me to do this. Do you mind me doing this? And, and they were always cool with it, you know. Um, but mm. I ne- it was never it was never my intention to do it for a job. But I did do a. Mm. We did the thirtieth anniversary of the release of New Boots and Panties. We did a tour mm. where we just performed all of New Boots and Panties in order. Ah. And what I used to like to do was I always thought that I was facilitating the blockheads for the fans because the thing is is that when they. The first gig that they did after Ian died, they, they wanted to sort of do a show.
4: Mm.
8: I mean, well, after Ian died, they did the tribute show at Brixton, and that was with loads of guest folk. Yeah. But the first time that they sort of played as the Blockheads on their own without Ian, very nervy for wow. them. I mean, imagine. Yeah. Imagine that you're a band that's had such I an know. incredible front man, I know. And I'm then you're, you're yeah. doing that. Um, and, I, 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 and Mickey Gallagher, you know, he asked me to DJ that gig. Right. And... Uh, I was there and I was playing records and Mickey came out and he went, we're coming on for the encores and the lads don't know the words to Reasons to be Cheerful. It's a difficult one to sing and play. Could you do Reasons to be Cheerful and could you also do Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll and could you do Billy Ricky Dicky for us? Oh my God. And so the first time I sang with them, um, after the tribute gig, Mm. so I was asked to sing those three songs and, and Mickey was like, you know the words, don't you? I went, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do and so yeah. it was like really high end karaoke really is how I've described it in the <laughs> wow. past It's amazing and so, so yeah I just did that first one for them and then they used to call me from time to time but now yeah. um, Del The Draw who used to be one of Ian's minders he writes with uh, Mickey and with uh, Chaz Jankel and Johnny and Norman and, uh, and the rest and they all write material together and the Blockheads God they've I think they're three albums deep you know, after, after Ian's after passing. Chaz yeah, yeah. Jackal
1: still involved? Yeah. yeah,
8: Chaz. They still all play together, yeah. Because oh, I, I think I thought, that
1: was the amazing thing was the kind of uh, dancey funk yeah. kind of thing well, they, with it, Ian. It's really, the the of, astonishing
8: thing is, the, if you think about it, you know, hip-hop yeah. fans out there listening to Joe's podcast, you recall uh, uh, The Message by Grandmaster Flash, okay? Amazing. It's like uh, many of us kind of, people cite that as one of the first of the hip-hop rap records. Mm. Six months before that came out, it's either four or six months, I, I look forward to being corrected. It's the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, Ian re- released reasons to be yeah. cheerful part three. Wow, that's so that class. he's got a good claim on you know, that
7: yeah. first rap record. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think
8: yeah, yeah. he he kind of said, it, but he's. If, you know, if you sat down and argued it out, I mean, God, there's the last poets, there's Gil Scott Heron, there's a lot of rap before Reasons to Be Cheerful Part Three. But in terms of that, you yeah, know, it's incredible funk backing yeah. with just some summer Buddy Holly, the working Folly Good Golly Miss Molly, and Boats. You know, it's just like it's an astonish, it's a great list record. You know, if you like a list record, it's a bit like End of the World. I love list records. End of the World, We Know It. Reasons to Be Cheerful. You know, they've just got an an energy to them.
1: Incredible. I actually bought their new with some panties on when I was at school and I put it on on my own in the house and then my elder sister who's about 10 years older than me yeah. came back from shopping just as the line arse bastards fucking
8: can't can't print. well I had exactly the same experience from my mum coming in the room yeah. hello Philip would you like a cup of tea arse <laughs> bastard. wow wow that's a, that's a like because you're not expecting it yourself you just no. like, uh, <gasps> Yeah, That's uh, yeah. it's a bit like when you accidentally play orgasm addict at a family party oh the laughs, laughs.
1: <laughs> okay well listen on that note yes
8: <laughs> on, uh, let's finish on an orgasm Joe it seems appropriate yeah <laughs> thanks. thanks a lot Man, thank it. you it's
1: beautiful well there you go that was the Vodafone Dublin Comedy Festival And I will be performing with Andy Smart, Stephen Frost and Phil Jupitus again at the Vodafone Galway Comedy Carnival during the October Bank Holiday Weekend. Plus, we may have a very, very, very special guest that weekend. But all will be revealed at a later date. As for me, this week I'll be performing in the Laughter Lounge in Dublin on the 31st of July and the 1st of August. On the 2nd of August I'll be reading a WB Yates play in an old ruin of a church in Sligo. And on the Monday, I'll be doing another reading in a pub in Sligo at 1pm. I don't even know the name of the pub, but um, I'm sure it will be advertised. And if it's not, who cares? I'll just do the reading. And then on the 5th of August, I'll be in New York. I'll be co-hosting a radio show there. And on the 6th, 7th and 8th, I'll be in La Crosse, Wisconsin at the Irish Festival in La Crosse, obviously. And um, I think I have a really cool interview lined up when I'm in New York on the 5th, which hopefully will be out next week. And well, that's it. Thanks a lot for listening. And uh, I'd like to thank Andrew Mangan for producing for uh, castaway media for hosting it and for daniel rooney for the music um if you enjoy this podcast please give it a star rating or a review or a comment i'm on joe rooney number one twitter i am at my website www.joerooneycomedian.com and uh, yeah just give me some feedback thanks for listening bye
5: This was a Castaway Media production. Find us on Twitter at Castaway Media or on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Castaway Podcasts.
0: Listen, if you're always running to the bathroom and sometimes just can't make it, we need to talk. You're not alone. I was just like you until I spoke to an expert physician about Axonics Therapy. It changed everything. It didn't just give me bladder control. It gave me my life back. Axonics Therapy is not another drug. It's just a tiny device you barely have to think about, and it can give you real lasting relief. You can even try it out first to make sure it works for you. Just take the first step. Get started at findrealrelief.com. That's findrealrelief.com. It's time to get your life back. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonix is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. Risks can result from Axonix therapy that may require surgical intervention. Available by prescription only. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com.